Well, last week in worship, we talked about um, being disciples who make disciples, making disciples who make disciples, and we got there by way of our scripture readings for the day um, from 1 Corinthians, and especially uh, the story of Jesus and Matthew, where he's calling his first disciples and calling them uh, to go fishing for people, and so we talked about evangelism. Today, we'll dig even more deeply into this idea of discipleship, because that's where today's texts take us. Uh, We read as our call to worship today the Matthew 5 text, and we just heard the text from Micah. This is what I like about preaching from what we call the lectionary, and that's what we're doing this year. We're trying it on, where the lectionary gives us the text for the day. I realize for the years that I've been preaching, which is for many, um, usually I approach and I go, what do I want to preach? And I pray about it, and what, what would be good, and what would be a clever theme, and what would be a good series? But I realize that when I do that, what I'm doing is I'm saying, here's what I'm going to preach on. But this way, I come to the lectionary, and the lectionary says, here's what you are going to preach on. (laughs) And of course, I'm going to bring my own twist and my own emphasis. I'm going to bring my own interpretation and convictions. Uh, But it's a good way for us to approach it. So um, I hope you're appreciating that. Already this morning, we've heard the gospel. We've heard the psalm, as Donna shared it. And and, and, um, Chris has just read for us the Old Testament text. We're calling this a year for hope, and we are printing those texts. You'll see them at the top of my outline in your bulletin day, uh, and Kayla has begun to add them to the header of the weekly newsletter email that comes to you too. So I want to encourage you to be looking at what's coming each week. We will keep putting those out in front of you, and, and for somebody, it can even become a way perhaps of doing devotions during the week, to spend some time with those four texts. And I would even risk to say you might partway through the week go, what are you going to do with this one, Pastor? Or make sure you, uh, uh, what, is, what does Jesus mean by this? And I am the Bible answer. Or man, um, at least I know where to look in a book and online. But anyway, um, uh, let's explore together as we uh, dig into God's word this, in this kind of new, new and fresh way. Some suggest that actually that reading the lectionary is a good discipleship journey, just to take your trip through the scriptures based on these different selections from the Old Testament, the Psalms in the Old Testament, from one of the Gospels and the Epistles. A good way of doing discipleship. A disciple is a follower. Discipleship or followership, learning to follow and obey Jesus Christ. And today's text presses even deeper into discipleship. Psalm 15 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary and who may live on your holy mountain? Those whose walk is blameless, says Psalm 15. And you just heard from Micah 6.8, And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? In fact, this verse from Micah 6.8 is among some of the best-known prophetic words from the prophets of the 8th century. It stands right alongside Hosea 6.6, which says, I require mercy, not sacrifice. And Amos 5.24, which says, Let justice roll down like a mighty river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And some of you who went to Chick in the 80s and 90s recognize that verse, don't you? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll tell you afterwards. That was very insidery, sorry. But seriously, those are the texts that, that stir us. And Micah 6.8 is one of those texts. And then finally, the gospel today from Matthew chapter 5 is the, what we call the Beatitudes, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And then these words from the epistle text of the day, 1 Corinthians 1, where 18, where it says, Let those who boast, boast in the Lord. Well, I've wrestled and I've wrangled with these texts this week, and I... I have to admit that the dramatics of the political climate have played on me as well during this week. Who is a true disciple of Jesus Christ to be in a world like this? 
But it's brought me to these three simple words of walk this way. Walk this way, says the word of God. Now I have to admit, because these things pop in my kind of sick little mind sometimes, that a very humorous image came to me. Some of you who are old enough, or maybe you've seen it uh, repeated, remember the 1974 movie, Young Frankenstein. How many remember Young Frankenstein, black and white? And there was a character, Dr. Frankenstein, only he went by Dr. Frankenstein, because he didn't want to be associated with his relative. And he went to this castle, and there was a man there named, we would pronounce it Igor, but he pronounced his name Igor. He says to Dr. Frankenstein, he says, he has a little cane, he goes, walk this way. And he goes down the steps and he goes, no, no, this way. And so Dr. Frankenstein is walking like this and then, when they, no, no, walk this way. So it was walk. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was funny. Um, that's why I didn't show you the video clip. It might have made more sense. But, you know, but, but the point was, don't just, don't just follow me. Walk, this, walk the way I'm walking. And seriously, as we return to the more serious matter of discipleship, The word of God says, walk this way. Walk the way Jesus walked. Walk the way the disciples walked. Walk the way the disciples figured it out as they made mistakes and learned to walk and to follow Jesus. And so here this morning, the texts from both the Old and the New Testament are calling us uh, as followers followers of Jesus to, to do discipleship. And for the follower of Jesus, doing discipleship means living a life characterized by devotion, by humility, by compassion and justice. And it means living from the inside out. Walk this way. Walk this way. This morning, this is what I want to look at, that doing discipleship means, first of all, taking an Old Testament walk and seeing what these texts say to us and then following this New Testament way and what these texts might speak into our own lives as well. Taking an Old Testament walk. I've actually, I can really resonate with walking because I've been walking more lately. Um, some of you know that I am a runner and I've run for uh, much of my adult life and, and uh, ran as, early, as recently as the Chicago Marathon this, this last fall, but I haven't run much since the marathon. Um, I've had a few little knee issues, so I'm making good friends with my physical therapist. Um, so I've been walking a little more than I've been running, although I'm starting to run a little bit. And I also, another thing that just changed my life, I got an Apple Watch for Christmas. I did not ask for one. I didn't even want one. Don't tell Megan, but she gave me one anyway. And, and this thing is amazing because this will tell me um, how much I've walked in a day. It will tell me, it even tells me when to stand up, which how did I ever know how to do that before? That? And you know what's amazing? It actually tells me when to breathe. It's, an, it's amazing that I've made it these many years without a, something reminding me uh, to breathe. But seriously, it's a, it's a reminder that my walking is burning so many calories and all that thing, all those things. Walking. Walking is a vivid metaphor in Scripture and especially in the Old Testament. Psalm 15 again says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy mountain, those whose walk is blameless who do what is righteous, those whose walk is blameless, who do what is righteous. Who may dwell in your sanctuary, those whose walk is blameless. Walking is a a Hebrew idiom for lifestyle. Walking is a Hebrew expression or idiom for lifestyle. That's what it often means when it's used in the Old Testament text. And walking with God is the goal. The scriptures tell us that Adam walked with God in the garden. And it wasn't just putting one foot in front of another, but he was close to him. The scriptures tell us that Noah walked faithfully with God, unlike most of the other humans on the earth at the time. And the scriptures tell us that Abraham walked faithfully and blamelessly with God, 
in faith. And when we come to Micah, the prophet Micah, he gives us some substance to what that walk might look like. It's what a disciple does. And what does the Lord require of you in your walk? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Powerful verse. Micah 6 is a great chapter. And the way it's written, it's actually, you might want to go back and read it again. It's written as sort of a a courtroom drama in which God is lodging a legal complaint against the children of Israel, mostly the children of the Judah part of Israel. And in verses 1 and 2, he summons them to listen. He says, hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. That's verses 1 and 2. Isn't that great? And then verses 3 and 5, he tells them what a great God he's been. He reminds the people of his many gracious gifts and acts on their behalf. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. And then in verse 6, 7, actually it switches. Now the, the, the voice in verses 6 and 7 is Israel speaking back to God. And Israel says, with what shall I come before the Lord? And how, bow, how shall I bow down before the exalted one? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So Israel is asking, should I do all of these religious rituals? Should I do these things that, that yes, have value to them, but is this what you want, God? And then God's answer comes loud and clear in verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Walk this way, says God to the children of Israel. Walk this way in line with the very character of your God. What God requires. Let's look at these a little bit. What God requires is to act justly. Not just to do justice things out there, but to act justly. Act with with equity in your relationships with others. Act in ways that lead to fairness and and especially act in deference to those in in a weaker social position. That's what it means in Scripture. Justice, actually, in the Old Testament is a very comprehensive term. It's very close to righteousness as well. Justice and righteousness are often mentioned together. Of things the way they should be in God's economy. It's a comprehensive term that speaks more of a, a way of life, a walk, than it does to a concept or a, a legal use that we might be more familiar with in our culture. Justice means making things right for all people. Justice means making things right for all people, which sounds great and sounds inspiring until it comes and it touches our lives, right? I heard something really kind of super convicting this week. I I had NPR on the radio, and it was fresh air. Some of you are NPR listeners, and some are not. And I was listening to an interview with a woman who had done an internship in a a Chicago uh, public school. And she was talking about um, uh, her experiences there and seeing this school that was kind of an underperforming school and the things that she learned there about testing and all kinds of stuff. So I sort of filed it away back here. And two days later, I saw it appear in a blog that I read. Of, uh, Pastor Dave Swanson writes a blog called Signs of Life. And here's the convicting words that came through both those times this week. If a school is not good enough for my child, then why are we putting any children in those schools? 
Oh, I realize I just uttered that in District 203, and some of you are here for that very reason. But these are the kind of things we need to look at. You know, and, and remember, some of you were here a couple weeks ago when Adam Gustine preached, and he talked about his kids playing soccer in South Bend and realizing that he could do better for his kids and realizing he needed to do better for all of those even disadvantaged, and especially disadvantaged kids in South Bend. To act justly means letting our conscience be pricked by those things. By the way, my children bought a house in District 203, and I'm thrilled my grandsons are going to go to a 203 school. But seriously, (laughs) they would do okay elsewhere. What God requires is to act and to live in a just way of looking for that fairness and equity among God's people. What God requires also is to love mercy. And mercy adds a spirit of generosity to acts of justice. Uh, Mercy adds a spirit of loyalty and graciousness, in a sense, to these acts of justice. It's the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, is the best way to write it out in English. And that word appears over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful word, and I'm told very difficult to translate. And we come the closest with the word mercy, but it encompasses compassion and graciousness as well. To love mercy. I've tried to avoid political perspective during this contentious campaign in election and inauguration. I have felt it necessary after the election to at least name some of the fear that's been very real among people that I know, people of color and marginalized people. I have noted in my messages the loss of of civility in public discourse. And whether you voted for Mr. Trump or not, And whether you agree with his policies or not is not my issue today. But there's some obvious and troubling character things about this man that are troubling to a lot of people, even those who agree with some of the policies. So I do not come to make any kind of political statement, although you might hear some of it in there. (laughs) I am who I am. But when it comes to immigration, when it comes to immigration, I do feel like we need to take a closer look, not at a political stand, but at a biblical stand that we take a biblical stand that comes at it from this issue of justice and acting with mercy and loving mercy. I'm just going to read scripture now and let it speak for itself. Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. A little earlier in Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Deuteronomy 10, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Ezekiel 16:49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. You all know what the sins of Sodom were. But listen what Ezekiel says. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Malachi 3:5. So I will come to you, 
I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus in Matthew 25 For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And finally, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I know some would reply to these texts about the foreign in the land of saying that was then and this is now. I even saw a response on Facebook to this that just said apples and oranges. And others may simply say it's the law. And I say sometimes there's bad laws. And we need to address them from a biblical perspective, not just out of our own emotion or what we feel or the blogs we read that reinforce our own beliefs, but what we feel the word of God is calling us to and a God who calls us to justice and mercy in the name of Christ. I think it's time to move on to the third part of this, which says, and to walk humbly with our God, which means I do not always get it. (laughs) And I come humbly before the word, and I come humbly before the situation in our country and our world. To walk humbly before God simply says he's in charge, he has first place, He gets any credit for any of our acts of justice and mercy and he is gracious to forgive us when we bungle it so badly. Walking humbly means walking in faith and faith is the antithesis of pride. To walk humbly with our God, to give him the credit, to trust him, to listen to him through his word and listen to him through the community as we debate these things and look at them seeking a biblical godly response to things. What God is saying through the prophet Micah here is I require so much more from your, than your outward performance. I don't care what it is that you say or, or what you do or what you read or what you post or what you profess. I want to know what's going on in here that you want to act justly and love mercy and walk a lifestyle of humility. This is the Old Testament way of walking. And it segues us then right into this New Testament way of following. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. What do we call these? We call them the Beatitudes, right? Beatitudes. The word beatitude is based on the same word as bless. The beatitudes speak of a state of being supremely blessed by God. What does it mean to be blessed? I am so blessed. Is it, is it something as narrow as a comfortable and a secure life? I think sometimes we say, I, I'm so blessed. Look what, look, what I, look what God has given me. And God is the source of all the good things we have. But if we count our blessings only as, a, as the comfort we have of, a, of children and home and business success, 
that may be a blessing of God, but what about those sincere followers of Christ who don't have those things or have lost those things or never will experience them? I realize some of those things we count blessing are because we have worked hard. We have earned these things. We have made sacrifices to have the things that we have. And God may very well be in the midst of it with some blessing. But some of them may come as a result of just simply being at the right place at the right time or being in a privileged position. Blessing is deeper. Blessing is deeper. It means much more than being happy or content. It is not based on just on circumstances. Being blessed means refers to the ultimate well-being and the distinctive joy of those who know and trust God. That's where blessing comes. Blessing is more akin to the Hebrew word shalom, which is a peace no matter what the circumstances. Peace that is a holistic peace, a more enduring joy than short-term happiness or material comfort. Blessed deep down in our soul. The way of a disciple, then, is that the disciple will be blessed. The way of the disciple will be blessed, but it may not necessarily be easy or fun or comfortable. But it will have substance to it. It will have eternal purpose to it. It will have deep meaning to it if it's connected to God's best. As we read some of the Beatitudes, we might even say that the New Testament is a bit of a countercultural way. The Beatitudes speak of a way of humility instead of pride. It speaks of a way of dependence on God instead of self-motivated gain and ambition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Beatitudes speak of a way of weeping over the truly broken people and things instead of laughing and, and making light. Blessed are those who mourn and feel and hurt deeply. The Beatitudes speak of a way of strength and gentleness, a strength and gentleness instead of a strength and power, power of position or power of wealth. Blessed rather are the meek, which doesn't mean wimpy. Meek means gentle, which is a strength under control. Blessed are the meek, who understand this strength as a gift to be used carefully and to serve others. It's a way of righteousness and justice for all and not just for me and mine. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not just for me, but for others, a way of righteousness and justice. The way of the disciple and the Beatitudes is a way of peace instead of a rancor and conflict or of needing to be right about everything. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the way of the Beatitudes is a way of sacrifice instead of a way of ambition. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Some say Jesus calls us to an upside-down kingdom. (laughs) An upside-down kingdom. Where the first are last, and the last are first. An upside-down kingdom where the one with much has nothing, and the one with nothing ends up with everything. Where the powerful are humbled, and the humble are lifted up and exalted. Or in today's epistle reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the foolishness of God, which is the cross, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, 
And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It's an upside-down, counter-cultural kingdom. And that's where Jesus calls us to live if we're going to walk the way of discipleship. A place where the weak are strong. <laughs> Second Corinthians 12. How many of us have found such strength and empowerment in that text where Paul talks about his, his thorn and his deep weakness that he can't seem to get past this thing and he begged with God to take it away. And then he comes and he says, he realizes that God's power is actually perfected in our weakness. I find great strength and encouragement in that text. And I know several of you do as well. The weak become strong. The walk of the disciple and the way of disciple is a way that is lived from the inside out. Micah speaks of it coming from the inside out, one who really loves mercy and, and acts in such a way that it's justice and walks in a way that shows humility. David, the psalmist, calls us to this deeper place of a, of a pure and a blameless heart. And Jesus in the Beatitudes and on into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus calls us to a place of pure hearts and unmixed motives. Jesus probes into this inner being in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love it that he said hunger and thirst. Of. Blessed are those who think that righteousness is a cool thing to pursue with other people that think it's cool too. <laughs> hunger. Who can't relate to hunger and thirst? Some of you right now are going, when's he going to be done? I want lunch. You know hunger. And I'm thirsty right now, but I'm not going to stop just yet. Soon. It's something that comes from the inside with hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who have a pure heart, that place from which we act. It's living from the inside out is the way of the disciple. It's a great hope, but it's a great challenge too, isn't it? For us to live that way. As we do kind of land this plane, this Walk this way, walk this way. The, the walk this way of discipleship, in a sense, then calls us to a, a self-examination, doesn't it? This idea of, of living from the inside out and of unmixed motives. How are things going in here? You know, you can sit down and ask God that. <laughs> We're called, Scripture in several places calls us to do that. Search me and know my heart, God. Psalm 139. This walk of discipleship calls us to do a self-examination. So I encourage you to do that. I'm going to do that in terms of asking, how am I doing in here? It's easy for me to say these things. Well, some of them weren't that easy, but <laughs> what's going on here? And then this walk of discipleship also calls us to fully rely on Jesus. That is our center point. That is our, our, our focus. That is who we are. That is our identity. First and foremost, as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, who then desire to live and walk this way. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is um, so powerful. It is convicting. It is reassuring. It is inspiring. 
We ask, Lord, that you would open up in each of us a desire to let that word do its work in us. That we would walk in a more focused, deeper way as we trust you and follow you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.